0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Pash, ESPN and Arizona Cardinals play-by-play announcer. Our guest this week is the great Jim Nance, who's been with CBS since 1985. He's called the Final Four since 1991, been a part of the NFL going back to 98, and called play-by-play as the lead voice since 2004. Jim will talk with us about what's going to be his final Final Four in 2023 we will talk about the timing, and then i will also discuss when he hopes to finish as the voice of the Masters. This will be his 38th consecutive year calling the golf at Augusta coming up in 2023. I would like to be there for the 100th playing of the Masters.
1: And then we'll reevaluate, because <laughs> I'm only going to be 76. Look at kind of, how many of our friends are still working uh, at stages later than that, like Al Michaels and on and on and on. But, yeah,
0: that's the goal. How much longer will he continue to call the NFL? We'll talk with Jim about that. We'll get his thoughts on the Arizona Cardinals. And we'll also get Jim's impression of Frank Caliendo's impression of Jim and Tony Romo in the booth. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. The BetMGM Touchdown Boost Token is here. Increase your payout with every Cardinals touchdown. You'll receive an extra 10% boost From every Cardinals touchdown, and your boost can be used on the following week's game. Only at BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, and official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions, 21 years of age or older, to wager Arizona only. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Time to talk with the voice of CBS Sports and one of the all-time great guys in this business, Jim Nance. Well, Jim, first of all, it's uh, it's an honor to talk to you. You're one of my favorites. You're one of the best in our business at what you do, and you're such a great guy. I'll never forget. Well, first of all, I met you for the first time when I was doing the Final Four for NCAA International back in, it was one of the two Florida championships, 2006, I think. And then uh, I'm sitting at a restaurant in New York City, Del Frisco's, with my wife, and all of a sudden the waitress comes over and says hey um this gentleman next to you here would like to buy you guys a drink i look over and it's you and uh and then you come over and hang out and we're chatting it up for a while um so that that's that's the fact i remember that like it was yesterday i think it was 2010 i was doing the big east tournament in new york and i can't remember what you were there for maybe you were just out to dinner with your bride but uh, i'll never forget that jim
1: well, you know, I didn't think you would actually remember that day, but I remember it vividly. We were in neighboring booths, and uh, it was a real thrill to meet you. We have um, the gift uh, and uh, the uh, of being in the same industry, which is the childhood dream for each of us. And we also share, you know, not only a love of college basketball, which you are absolutely exceptional at following those games, like you are with everything, but I get to see a lot of your work on college hoops. When you're doing uh, your your Cardinals work during the fall, I'm always on at the same time, so I don't get to enjoy it, but Pat McGrath, famous stats guy, worked with you a ton, and I've had Pat by my side, or I've been by his side, more like it, for 30-something years on college hoops, so a lot of people out there you know you hear things in the industry and everybody admires and has great respect for who you are and not only as a broadcaster but more importantly what you like off the air.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, Pat has been uh he's been with you probably twice as long as he's been with me, but and I think Doug Collins I, I don't know if it was you. I think it was Doug Collins that gave him the nickname Pat the Rat. Uh, or PTR for short, but Pat's a great statistician. <laughs> he's as good as there I is. Thank
1: you. Uh- I think Pat the Rat, uh the nickname belongs to Hank Stram gave oh, him that. Okay. Um and, and he and Hank were close and I worked with Hank years and years ago. And one time I was on the air on a DBS and I was thanking everybody on the crew and our great stats guy, Pat the Rat McGrath. Well, about two days later Pat called sheepishly and said, Would you do me a favor? I said, What is it? He said Please don't ever call me that on the air again. I don't mind off the air. But my mom was watching, and she was so confused. Why did he call you the rat? And she didn't like that. And I said, never again, ECR. Never again on the air. He's just Pat McGrath. But, yeah, exceptional guy.
0: Jim, I've always thought somebody needs to do... And I would love the pitch at ESPN. Somebody needs to do a 30 for 30, a documentary on the life of the statisticians because next to the players, the coaches, the broadcasters, no one has a better seat for the biggest events. And if I'm not mistaken, Pat McGrath has done 30 Final Fours and 25 to 30 Super Bowls.
1: Yeah, he's at 31 Final Fours and the Super Bowl count is uh, is up there really high all those years with the CBS radio network and Westwood one. And that would be a fascinating thing to see because these guys kind of, they come in, they, with no fanfare, you're right. They're sitting right at midcourt or the 50 yard line. And they have this incredible access and the plus the fact that they can crunch numbers and how they just go about the mechanics of executing their jobs. Pretty funny, but it's an interesting group. They all know one another. Yeah, they're all very close knit. The, the stats guy from one crew knows stats guy from another. You know, Al Michaels stats guy knows my stats guy, etc., etc. So that's a good idea. I got to give it to you. That would be an interesting doc.
0: Just the uh, idiot different idiosyncrasies for these guys too, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some different characters yeah. in there.
1: Yeah, I have a guy on on football, Ethan Cooperson, who. He walks into the booth like he did yesterday in Tampa, and it might be 15 minutes before kickoff. Now, he's done a lot of good prep work that he's forwarded to me during the week. But where has he been? How did he get here? He just kind of comes in, leaves, disappears. You don't even know he's there. But you get in the heat of the battle, this guy can come up with things like they all can, like Pat can. Yeah, Just amazing.
0: Well, Pat will be with you for the Final Four in 2023, which, uh, as was reported a couple weeks ago, uh, will be your last um, with CBS. And I'm just curious, Jim, what went into that decision? Why, why the timing for you to to turn that over to Ian Eagle after this upcoming Final Four?
1: Well, it was time because my just have been on what I like to call the golden hamster wheel for 37 years. I have uh, been a part of the NCAA tournament and the Masters and the PGA Tour and, and as well as football, and it, it, there was really not an off-season for me. One season ends, the next one begins. Sometimes, like the very next week, you go from the Final Four in the championship game, and I'm in Augusta the next day. And it's, it's thrilling. It's exciting. It's exhausting, too, when you get past the age of 60. I started doing all this when I was 26 for CBS, So I've been at it for more than half my life, and I needed to get some time back. I've got two young kids and an older daughter, but my my little ones are six and eight. And I just cannot go through another 10 years of basically daddy only being home five or six weeks a year or weekends a year. And it started there. I've known for a long time that 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 was going to be the sport that would have to come off the schedule, but it would still leave me with a a full NFL schedule with uh, Tony Romo for many years to come. We're both signed up for a long, long time and anchoring the golf. So I still got 40 weeks a year. It's just that five or six weeks removed what my basketball obligations were. will make a profound difference. And it came up on a year too when the Final Four is in Houston, which was my gateway city to the industry Mm -hmm. coming out of the University of Houston and being around the basketball program there and being the public address announcer. And in the, in the embryonic stages of Paislame Jamma. That's when I got my start with that basketball team, and it just felt right to come back to Houston and close down baskets where it all started for me.
0: I thought it might have been because you just couldn't take Bill Raftery anymore—not on the <laughs> air, but after the game. I worked with Bill when he was at ESPN, and like if you left. Dinner before two in the morning, like you you got an evil look. And then there were sometimes, if you did leave, I'd be going to the airport for a six AM flight and he's just walking in. So I thought maybe it was because of Raf.
1: I I want your audience to know this is not embellished at all, okay? This is so true. Raft is uh, such such a treasure and he was my first basketball partner, by the way, Dave. Oh wow. Back in the nineteen eighty six NCA tournaments my first tournament game i ever called was duke against old dominion in greensboro north carolina 1986 so now all these years later i'm going to come to my final tournament as a broadcaster and there is a site at greensboro the first week of the of this year's tournament and you know duke in north carolina will in all likelihood be sent there which means we'll be sent there so it all comes full circle and you know, i got to start with raft i'm going to end with raft and the great Grant Hill is just such a gem, such a wonderful guy and, and a broadcaster that has uh, really seized it and has just done super with it and will continue for years. But I, I, I love my teammates, and I, I'm going to miss that part of it, Tracy Wilson, I'm going to miss that part of it more than anything. But I do feel really great about Ian getting a chance to do it. Uh, he deserves to have that chance. Um Here's a stat for you, which is typical of Pat to come up with it. But before I, I, I transitioned from being the host of the Final Four to calling the, the lead NCAA tournament package, um, Brent Musburger was doing the games. And Brent was a great mentor and friend. And I couldn't believe I was in his company the first six years of my career. But Brent, Brent called six Final Fours in championships. six. Uh, he tied the record that uh, belongs to Dick Inberg. So Brent and Dick did six championships each. This coming tournament will be my 32nd. Mm. So it's been a long time. And, and, you know, I don't want to get greedy about it. it. It's been a long time. And I've thought for several years that maybe it was time to start scaling back just a little bit and just reduce it to NFL and golf. But with Houston out there off 23. This was years ago when they got, they got the nod for the 23 Final Four. I told CBS even then, that will be my last. So it came as no surprise to them. And and just now it's official.
0: Well, you, you will obviously be missed. But if there's anybody who is not only talented but can handle raftery and also uh, just be a great ambassador for CBS and for college basketball to follow in your footsteps, it's it's iron. Because he he's so good and he's such a great guy, uh, I'm curious, Jim, about the Masters. I think this is 38 in a row for you. You talked about the run with college basketball, but longer on the Masters. Um, how much longer do you think you'll go? Why would you ever stop with the Masters? I mean, that's well, I don't
1: want to, but uh, <laughs> time takes its course. But thank you for saying that. Now, I have one more Masters than I do NCAA tournaments because in the pandemic they canceled the tournament that oh, year, yeah. the NCAA tournament, so they're off by one. But, yeah, this will be 38 coming up at Augusta. And long ago, Dave, I'm talking 1986 when Jack Nicholas won that historic sixth green jacket. I was making my way back to the compound when Ken Venturi, the legendary commentator and Hall of Fame golfer, pulled up in a golf cart. And he said, where are you going, young man? I said, I'm walking back to the compound, sir. He says, jump in, Jimmy. I'll give you a ride. Hmm was honored to be riding with him this was my first master's show and i'd watched ken my whole life not realizing one day we'd be in the 18th tower together for a long long time and he became a huge mentor of mine but anyway ken says how old are you son and i said i'm 26 he said well i'm gonna make a prediction for you right now one day you're gonna be the first golfer to ever broadcast this event 50 times i thought wow that's profound profound can't believe he thinks I have that kind of ability. Plus, he called me Jimmy, which my mom, my dad, my friends all call me because my dad was Jim. Uh, I was Jimmy. Still am to my my family members and close friends. Anyway, he said, you'll be the first to ever do 50. But I'll tell you one thing, son. You'll never live to see a day greater than this around Augusta. So I had all these highs and lows in that one little movie scene. I I had the high of, wow, Ken Venturi calls me Jimmy, calls me son. It's very father figure-ish. He he thinks I have a modicum of ability to be able to make this outlandish prediction. I'll do this for 50 50 years. And uh, anyway, I look at it years later, Dave, and he, he really, in a lot of ways, defined my career. He set up what I wanted my career to be like at the end. I wanted to do what Ken Venturi recognized that day. I wanted to do 50. And I used to say that to to close associates, until a few years later, I was I was actually being introduced, as bizarre as this sounds, by Venturi and Jack Whitaker at an event at Bel Air Country Club. And they jointly presented me. And I got up and told this story that I just told you about mm. 50 Masters. We retired that night after the speech over at the Hotel Bel Air bar, and Jack Whitaker looked at me. Talk about an idol for me. Mm. He said, I heard what you said up there, Jimmy, about 50 Masters. I said, yes, sir. Does that sound crazy? He says, no, not at all, but you need to adjust the count. I said, why is that, sir? He says, you need to do 51. I said, well, why? He says, because if you do it, the math on it, the 51st Masters for you will be the 100th playing of the Masters tournament. He said, "Um, you'll want to be there for that, but I think it's important. For the Masters, that you be there for it too. So I, I tweaked it, and that became the goal. Is weird as that number sounds. It's fifty-one. That would take me to twenty thirty-six. God willing, that I get that chance. The help holds up, and everybody still wants me to do it. Let me add that. Um, I would like to be there for the hundredth playing of the Masters, and then we'll reevaluate because <laughs> I'm only going to be seventy-six. Look at kind of, how many of our friends are still working at stages later than that, like Al Michaels and on and on and on. But yeah, that's the goal. 51 masters. If I can get there and I don't want to be greedy about it, that would be, that would mean a lot to me in my heart.
0: Well, I work with Hubie Brown on NBA. He's 89. So, and he's still going well, strong. You go. G- Jim, you could, yeah. you could do 115 masters or Jimmy. Sorry. Can I call <laughs> you Jimmy now? The rest, I didn't realize everybody that you're, you're friends with, and I would hope that we can call each other friends. I'm going to call you Jimmy. Um, but the fact that that would be, you would have, at that point, have done more than half of the masters. I mean, you'd be a synonymous, and I think you already are because of you know when people think of the masters, they 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 hear your voice, they hear the music, and then your voice coming up. Um, hello, friends. I'm sure you've been asked that so many times. When when did that start? What was the when was the first time you used it? And wow, uh,
1: You see my dog? He heard Hello Friends and uh, (laughs) just went crazy Uh, (laughs) right on cue. (laughs) My my, uh, family protector there got all wound up. (laughs) The term Hello Friends was never intended to be anything that had lasting power or I would be associated with. It was purely a circumstance of me trying to come up with Something that my father would know that I was thinking of him when I when I said goodbye to him at his bedside in 2002. It's only been around since 02. My father was uh, was was fighting Alzheimer's disease, and the mind was slipping by the day. And uh, I would play these little tricks and and word games with him. And as I left his side in Houston. I said, Dad, I'm gonna I'm gonna come on the air this weekend. And I'm gonna say your name because my name is his name, and I'm gonna say hello, friend. And that's for you because you have nothing but friends. So when you see me on, on camera, you know that that very moment I'm thinking of you. Okay, you got it. I got it. Well, I walked out of the room realizing it's probably a pretty good chance he'd already forgotten it, sadly. Mm-hmm. But I carried that in my heart, and from a golf event in Hazeltine in Minnesota. I opened up the third round coverage with a hello friends, Jim Nance here, you know, and next thing you know, the show ends, I get a call from a very close friend of mine. He said, Hey, I heard you say hello friends on the air. What was that about? I said, well, I was passing along a message to my dad. He said, well, that sounds like you, you want to do that all the time. So I did it for the fourth round the following weekend and every weekend thereafter. And you know my dad's been gone since oh eight day he's been gone a long time, but for that very bleeding little moment as I'm on the air and trying to get get us started, I look into that lens that gives us absolutely no feedback as you know. you look into that dark camera lens and you'll think about the millions of people on the other side, but I look at it and i and I think of him for i just it flashes in my head every time Wow did yesterday. And for me, it's a nice comforting moment. I feel like he's riding with me, and it calms me, if that makes sense. I think the public would be surprised that you you get on some of these shows, maybe every show, but the bigger ones, and you do have those butterflies, at least I do, and the the most, if you will, anxiety you feel feel as a broadcaster is just when you're coming on the air. Just going through the blocking and tackling of getting the show started, particularly when they come to you on camera, it's, it's not like the first t Jitters, but you know maybe a modified version of that. But everybody's so worked up. You've been preparing all week, and you just kind of want to get on the air cleanly. And I, 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 it made me better in that moment because it distracts me, and it makes me think of, of my hero, my dad. And that's what it's all about. It's not any... Cheesy saying to try to create some sort of reaction. It was just born out of a son trying to pass along a message to that's, his father.
0: That is that's awesome, Jim. That is like, man, I had not heard that story, and I'm I'm pretty sure most people out there that are listening to this probably have not. That is uh, incredibly inspirational. Just another reason to. To watch you. And I think the, the best broadcasters are those that connect with the audience. And, I mean, you had that connection. That's why you're still doing what you're doing, you know, 40 years into it with CBS, is because of uh, how likable you are. And I think a lot of times when you say that, I, I think, you know, the audience looks at you as their friend. So when you say, hello, friends, it's it's mutual. Um, and it's just one more reason to, to be in love with Jim Nance. Um, well, thank you. You know, I walk
1: through airports, and it, it's all of it is truly a little surreal. And again, I I know I'm saying things that you can relate to, but when we wanted to get into this business, we got into this business because we wanted to tell stories. We wanted to be at these big events and be the narrator of these things that were going to unfold. It wasn't about being on television or radio or people knowing you or having a following or people asking for a picture or your autograph. I've never even thought about any of that stuff Mm -hmm. that that would be a part of it. Um, So it's still, uh, after 30 some odd years, it's still a little strange to get used to that people actually, not everyone obviously, but people actually know you. And they feel like they know you. And I I could be walking through an airport and I could just get that shout out. Stadiums all the time hello friend hey friend you know so <laughs> kind of go around with it and and it's a connection point but i hear it all the time and it still catches me a little off guard you know dealing with some of the recognition i guess is is the word that comes with it that people you, you go perform it You know, you go you go do your shows and you prepare all week and you try to do service to the game and make sure the game is the thing and you're not the thing. And then you step out of it and you realize people like listen to you and they do feel like they have a relationship with you. I'm honored that people feel that way, but I'm just saying it doesn't matter how long you do it. It's still a little bit like I'm still the kid that never even thought about that being even any part of my life. I didn't know that anybody would know who I was. I just want to be a storyteller. So the hello friends thing has become a way that people approach me. So I hear it all the time. Mm. I do. And it's lovely. It's nice. It's again it all traces back to a son trying to trying to stay connected with his dad as his dad's mind was deteriorating.
0: Mm. You talked about, you know, not being bigger than the show and and you never are. Uh, and I, I think you're as good as anybody at that and and that coincides with getting the best out of your broadcast partner which is a big part of our job is to get the best out of the analyst uh, and and I you know, I know you get credit, but I don't think you get enough credit for the job you do with Tony Romo and allowing Tony to be Tony and getting the best out of him. If you did things differently and maybe, you know, tried to be the show, Tony wouldn't get to do what he does. And did did you know that? I you did a mock broadcast of the Cardinals Cowboys Pro Football Hall of Fame a handful of years ago. Did you know right away that Tony would you know, get the buzz that he gets. What was the process like of bringing him along into the booth?
1: Well, that was, a, that was an amazing evening. We were stuck in the corner of an end zone that was like 40 yards back of the corner of the end zone and a little temporary, well, Al Michaels, they showed it on the broadcast. They called it a deer stand. Hmm. But that was one of eight games that we actually practiced uh, three of them were on site, the one in Akron, one in Charlotte, one in Oakland. Five were in a studio, and this happened from mid-May until mid-August. We would do these rehearsal practice games. I got to tell you, Dave, I knew the first time we did a practice game, it was on May seventeenth, two 2017, that he was good enough to go on the air right there and be one of the best. For that show, for that rehearsal game, his instincts were so good, um, and his enthusiasm and excitement were just off the charts. You're right. I mean, we we're, we are trying, I believe, is one of our primary responsibilities, if it's not number one, is to be the ultimate setup guy and point guard for your analysts. Look, nobody does it better than you with Bill Walton. It's, to me it's
0: i don't have me, a choice jim I don't have a choice jim he just talks anyway so i am kind of left left in that spot it's a great
1: pairing it's an <laughs> awesome pairing um but i i i just i just i just think the world of tony and I don't really put any boundaries this is what you need to do this is what I need to do it's not a dance step it's two guys watching a game and tony has this ability to break it down faster than anyone i've ever seen so this is year six we've gotten here rather quickly but it has been it has been just a fantastic ride and uh, like i said i'm hoping for somewhere around another dozen years that that would make me happy mm-hmm. that would be about right a
0: few more and uh, we'll let you go jim um and i really appreciate the time um tom brady Whenever he decides to retire, he's going to go in the booth. I'm curious, because obviously you spent a lot of time with Tom over the years, how you think he'll be as a broadcaster. And Are there any other active NFL players? Because part of our job is we meet with coaches and players each week uh, leading into the game that we're calling, regardless of the sport. Uh, Is there anybody you think uh, that's an active player? Maybe even somebody that is off the radar, that's a younger guy that you think could do this if he wanted to?
1: Well, the first guy that comes to mind for me, is not a player but a coach and that would be mike tomlin i think mike has the gift of expression like no one i've ever heard in football before and by that i mean he says things a turn of a phrase that has i've never heard it before it's the exact opposite of cliche everything he says is new and fresh his phraseology it is it's incredible I don't know how, and he does it off the cuff. If you watch one of his press conferences and hear him break down the game or what's going on with the team, his material is uh, his mind works really quickly. He's a he's a brilliant guy, and I, I think if he ever wanted to do it, I, I think he could be. I, I just think I just think he could be exceptional. Now we know this about Tom. When Tom decides to do it, he's got the contract. And, you know, it's all set up to go to Fox. But he will work as hard as anybody ever on trying to be prepared for these games. It's just the way he rolls. And he will go through, I would think, one of those summers like what we did with Tony. He'll do a lot of practice games. There will be a lot of things that he doesn't realize that are a part of it. By that, I mean meetings with the players, the amount of – data that comes to you now. I mean, there's so many sources of information now. It's almost information overload. But Tom will want all of that. So uh, I think he'll be very good at it whenever that time comes.
0: Have you heard uh, Frank Caliendo's impressions of you and Tony, by the way? Because Frank lives here in Phoenix. He actually lives, uh, I'm doing this right now, from the Cardinals facility and and without giving Frank's address away. Uh, He's close by. He came in studio last year, and we had him call – Highlights of Cardinal games. It was actually against the Rams. A win against the Rams, and I would stop him in mid-sentence and you know throw out another name, and he would have to adjust quickly on the fly and, and change the impression. Can we do Nance and Romo on one of these? Jim's oh, gonna kill Oh, Jim, what's going on here? This is a great read. Kyler Murray's coming in. Here's gonna be Tony. Here we go, jump
1: Tony.
0: He did, you know Tony and you. Have you have you heard uh, those? For Frank?
1: I've not only heard it, I hear about them all the time. And it, it was really at such a high level and frequency, might have been two years ago, that I actually sought them out and called them and thanked them. I said, I'm just getting so much feedback. I have more than anything. I just want to let him know. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but he's got Tony down. It's I mean, it's Dead ringer, and I, he said that my voice was a little harder to replicate. But he does this shrieking, high pitched. Here, I'll give it to you, Tony. <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, you got me laughing just thinking about it. What a talent! <laughs> I just, I, I wanted to see Frank in person. He, he we almost uh, crossed paths here recently for one of his shows, and uh, in Nashville. But that, that's still to come. Great regard for him.
0: I'm going to let him know. I'm going to text him when we're done and let him know that you just – because I don't know that he's heard your impression of yourself. <laughs> hey, I'm his number one fan. You Please let him know. Um, all right, two more. Sorry, uh, didn't mean to keep you this long. I know you got other things to do. Fine. Um, yeah, we're good. Thoughts on the Cardinals. I know that you were working opposite the Cardinals game on Sunday in the loss to Seattle. You had the Cardinals week one against Kansas City. What are your thoughts on what's going on here with Arizona?
1: Well, we saw a lot of, of what this season's been so far that very first week. It just, um, it just didn't seem as though the Cardinals were hitting on all cylinders. It just seems like something's amiss. I can't put my finger on it, but it's foreign to all the Cardinal faithful because they're used to this team jumping out of the gates and then struggling on the back half of the year. You know, maybe there's still time. I mean, I'm sure there's still time, but maybe they're going to, maybe they're going to streak into, positively streak into, uh, the postseason. It'll take a lot of work now. I mean, that loss to Seattle was a crusher for them. They go three games behind them plus the head to head, essentially four games back. Um, but there's, there's, I don't, I, I just don't know. Everybody battles injuries. I get that. They didn't get they didn't get D Hop back until a couple weeks ago, and Connor's been banged up. It's just right now it's a strange year in the NFL. It's all upside down. We're dealing with it every week. We can't get a matchup for our A game where we have two teams with a winning record. In fact, this week we have Jacksonville at Kansas City as our number one game. Hmm. Never would have guessed that. Jacksonville at three and six at Arrowhead, hmm. and. This will make now eight out of nine weeks for us. We've had a matchup with at least one of the two teams with a losing record, not even a 500 record. One of the two with at least a losing record. Yesterday, Rams-Bucks, last two Super Bowl champs, both with losing records. Um, so, you know, when you start thinking about where the Cardinals are, the only solace you can find is you can look at where Green Bay is, what Tampa season been like. I mean, it just right through the league it's the Rams there's just everywhere you turn is like all of a sudden it's like the, the league shut down for three years and nobody has any moment, positive momentum off of what they did the year before and the older quarterbacks that's not your issue there in Arizona but the older quarterbacks it's a struggle. it's just uh, there's there's just not a, a happy story there to be found.
0: This last question, maybe this is a proper transition going from talking about the Cardinals to wine, uh, just given mm-hmm. how it's been a struggle uh, and very stressful for a lot of people around here. Um, the I like call this transition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your wine label, your winery, the calling. Uh, I've had the cab. It was a few years ago. Uh, it was very, very good. Tell me the genesis of this and how involved you are.
1: Very involved. I own 50% of the venture with my friend and business partner, Peter Deutsch. This is something that I kind of had worked on in, you know, not, not talking about full time worked on it, but for a good 10 years, I was trying to figure out how to get into that space and talk to many people in the industry and visited wineries, vineyards, and vintners and try to get a handle on how that could possibly come about and have a label one day. And lo and behold, I, I ran across Peter, uh, just uh, serendipity at a restaurant in Connecticut, told him it was my dream to somehow be involved in this, and I would be very involved. And we decided to partner up together. So we're in year 11 now, Dave. We're in 5,000 restaurants nationally. We have great, great uh Following in Arizona, by the way, Total Wine and all their stores and many restaurants. We're in all fifty states, and wine's a finicky thing. You know, you, it's not going to be about your success about who owns it. It's going to be about what's inside the bottle. It has to be good, and we are basically the GMs, the owners, or the coaches, however you want to look at it. I, I would say our winemakers are our coaches. We're, we're the GMs, and that means we got to go out and get the best sourcing because we don't own the dirt. We don't own a vineyard, but we do source and buy grapes, or we take, if you will, leases out on blocks of, of vines at some of the great wineries in our country. And that's really helped put us where we are today. That is, by the way, a very um, high percentage of the wine business today is sourcing, what we call it, sourcing, where you don't own the property, but you source your fruit, and we've had partners there that have um, been legendary vineyards like Dutton Ranch, and what's happened now is we've had 60, well, it's somewhere approaching 65, 90-plus point-rated wines in 10 years. That's, And they're, they're all spread across that cab you mentioned, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, so it's not like people just say, oh, that's a Chardonnay brand or that's a cab brand know, Brand. We like the consistency. And we feel like we've kind of, at this point, not getting ahead of ourselves, but we like the way we've built it. We want it to be multi generational. Someday his kids, Peter's kids, my kids will own it. And I believe it's going to be around for a long, long time.
0: The next time you and I have a conversation, let's make sure that uh, there is a bottle of the calling open as we uh, sip and uh, chat about uh, life and broadcasting and. Uh, Just kind of like we did back uh, some 15 years ago when you were kind enough to uh, send over a drink and then come spend some time with uh, my wife and I in New York.
1: It's long overdue to do it again, and I will be in your neighborhood the weekend of the Super Bowl. Not for the big game. We don't have it until next year in Vegas. But we'll be there for the Waste Management Phoenix Open. It's going to be sometime in Arizona. If you're not too busy, we'll have a chance to maybe get together and sip on that wine and chat. I'd love that.
0: We'd love it, Jim. Thanks so much for your time, Thanks, my friend. Dave. Terrific.
1: Thanks, pal. Really appreciate it, Maria. You.
0: Thank you. What a great sport Jim is. Hearing Jim do the impression of Frank Caliendo's impression of Jim and Tony in the booth. And how about the touching story of the genesis of Hello, Friends? It, if, you, if you didn't love Jim Nance before, uh, just, uh, man, that pulls at the heartstrings that He's talking to his father when he does that. And Jim is so likable on the air. And that story, uh, I loved him already, but man, that story uh, is incredible. And it's just a big reason why Jim connects with the audience the way he does. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod. And please tell us what you think about the podcast if there are any guests that you'd like to hear from and what your thoughts on from the first 49 episodes you can go to your podcast platform and rate us and review us thanks again to you for listening to the Dave Pash podcast and thanks of course to our guest the great Jim Nance we'll talk to you next time right here on the Dave Pash podcast